you have a Bible this morning, or if you'd like to use one in front of you, underneath the chair in front of you, we're going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be getting to that in just a few minutes here, so you can just keep open to that. We're in a series over October and November, and we're looking at taking a look at the culture. Now, <clears throat> everyone lives in a culture. In fact, here, here's a definition of culture. Culture is what man does with creation to harness it and bring it into service. It includes language, habits, ideas, beliefs, customs, arts, manners, social organization, technology, etc. And so, everyone lives in a culture. Culture is good or bad in terms of whether it is functioning the way God designed it for the betterment of the people who live in it. And so, one of the things that we are challenged to do as a church is to identify the culture in which we live, to understand the ways in which it is helpful and God-honoring, and the ways in which it's detrimental and it is destroying the lives of people and destroying the relationships with their Creator. And so that is the challenge for the church today, to be a part of the culture without being, as the Scripture admonishes, without being forced into its mold. There is great pressure to conform to a culture. You know, when you go out into your culture, whether you're a young person, uh, whether you're an older person, whatever culture you're in, if you're in the youth culture, there are tremendous pressures to conform to that culture. If you don't conform to the culture, you're an oddball, and you don't feel like you belong, a very basic desire that we all have. And so, this is a big issue for us. Last week, we looked at the first of a number of issues that we're going to look at. And uh, we looked at our culture and the fact that in our culture, our culture is moving more and more towards what we call a pluralistic view of truth. And basically, we looked at the fact that the scriptures make it very, very, very clear that there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. That means any religion that doesn't proclaim Christ as the way to God is wrong. And in our culture, that is a very narrow-minded, uh, even arrogant position to hold. And yet, that's what the scriptures clearly teach. There is great pressure, however, to, to dissolve that truth and to soften that truth. And so today, among the polls, we find that nearly 60% of those who say they are Christians do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Even though the scriptures very clearly state that there is only one name and only one way by which we must be saved. So this morning, we are going to look, move into another area. We're probably going to take about three weeks on this one. And this morning, we're going to start, and we're going to talk about all of our stuff. The title of the message this morning is Stuff. I read this week of a lady who had a, she was so tired of her stuff, she had a 40th birthday party. And everybody that came got to take one thing out of her house. <laughs> so you can pick whatever you want. That's my birthday party. Don't bring a gift. Take a gift from my house. I've got too much stuff. And uh, 
most of us know what that's all about. Uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous pressure in our culture. I, I pulled this out. I wanted to start with a reading this morning. And this is written by, I think, a high school student. And I think it very well portrays this struggle that we have. It's one of those days when I feel very dissatisfied. I don't like what I look like. I don't like the stuff in my room. I don't like my boring life. I need more stuff to feel better, to feel new. So I go to the mall because it promises me. The Gap, Express, Gadzooks, American Eagle, I can't miss. And at Abercrombie and Fitch, the posters on the wall show clean-cut guys playing touch football with shiny-haired girls. They're having a blast in plaid shirts and cocky pants. One girl has a big sweatshirt tied casually around her thin waist. They're laughing in that picture. The clean-cut boys and the shiny-haired girls. They're having more fun in their Abercrombie and Fitch clothes than I've had in months. At the athlete's foot, a picture of Michael Jordan hangs over the wall of running shoes. He's won his second Olympic gold medal while wearing his gleaming gold shoes. The message behind the image is clear. There's nothing greater in life than winning. And with some high-tech shoes of my own, maybe I'd feel like less of a loser. At Contempo Casuals, the brown and green sweater on the skinny mannequin promises to make me look thin and trendy. And the sales girls are so cool in their platform shoes and short skirts. If I looked like them, wearing that close-fitting brown and green sweater, I just might have a few more dates. I don't think of myself as materialistic. In fact, I buy lots of my clothes at thrift stores. I drive a totally ugly old car. My friends even tease me about being cheap. But still, I find myself wanting things. Not because I necessarily need them, but because they seem like they'll make me more interesting and more exciting. Like somehow the stuff I own can change the life I have. When I look at the ads in magazines or TV, that's what stuff promises me. A better life, a better me. But I'd like to think I'm a lot more than my stuff. I'd like to think my friends like me because I'm funny or nice or easy to talk to, not because I have cool clothes. I'd like to think I can like myself even though I don't have the latest music or the hippest shoes. I'd like to think I have value because I am me, not because I have the right stuff. Very well written article, very honest, and on some level, most of us living in this culture can understand what she is talking about. So what about all this stuff? All of our clothes and computers and iPhones and iPods and guns and golf clubs and knickknacks and furniture and on and on and on and on it goes. I mean, just imagine how much stuff this morning is sitting on shelves waiting to be bought. Just think about how much stuff is sitting on shelves that none of us really needs. Well, what does God think about all of our stuff? Do you, you ever wonder what God thinks about all our stuff? We do have a lot of stuff, by the way. If you're not, you know, half the people in the world do not own one pair of shoes. So we have a lot of stuff. I don't have room in my closet for my shoes. 
And uh, I, I don't feel like I have a lot of stuff, but you know what? I do. I have a lot of stuff. How does God feel? Well, God created the material world. He gave us creative minds. He gave us ability to make things, to make clothes, to make cars, all this stuff. You know, what, what does God think about all that? We're going to kind of talk a little bit about that. I, I came across an article this week. It was interesting. It was written by a secular author. And the secular author came up with some interesting observations. He talked about the things, especially probably when we're young, and, and maybe when we're old too, we, we think about things that we would really like that would make us happy. And he listed a number of things, and I'm just going to briefly mention them. Uh, five myths of things that we think will make us happy. Number one is being famous. Do you know that 50, like over 50% of all high school students, when polled, said, I think it would be great to be famous. You think it'd be great to be famous? Psychologists say that more and more kids today want to be famous because they don't feel loved by their parents. And so they're going, you know, it would be so great to have millions of people think you are great. The only problem is you don't know one of their names. Do you know that famous people are four times as likely to commit suicide as people who are not famous? They tell us that the most stressful job is where your goals are tied to the approval of other people. And so being famous may not be all that it's cracked up to be. Another one was beauty. Now, it's true. People that would be considered beautiful in the eyes of the world, they, uh, they have wider social circles. They make more money. And those that are not. They also compare themselves to others more. They have an incredible pressure to maintain this beauty. And there's this haunting feeling that what people like about them is only skin deep. And people say really flattering things, like some guy sits down to the beautiful, next to a beautiful girl and says, so tell me, what are your hobbies? And she knows he doesn't care about her hobbies. And so... People who are very beautiful begin not to trust anything that anybody says to them because they don't know what their motives are. You learn to not trust what anyone says. Beautiful people, very beautiful people tend to be less happy than others. Maybe being beautiful isn't so great. Another one was being a genius, and that means just excelling in any one area. You know, being way above everybody else in some area. Einstein was a genius. Doesn't have to be just how well you know chemistry, though. We can be a genius. Uh, Dennis Rodman is a genius in the area of basketball. It may be genius in the area of computer programming or picking stocks or whatever it is. But people who live with that kind of aptitude often have a very difficult time in not looking at others as being inferior. Many, many people who would, you would classify as geniuses died alone and very bitter. The fourth one was power. You know, most kids don't grow up saying, when I grow up, I want to be powerful. And yet, there's a sense in which when power comes into our lives, it corrupts 
us in ways we have no imagination that it could. Any of you that watched through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you remember in that story? Who did they pick to give this ring that has ultimate power? They give it to the most humble, unassuming uh, guy. And so here's this little guy in the movie, and he's all of a sudden is carrying this thing could, that has ultimate power, and you begin to see the temptation that comes into a person's life when they're full of power. And then lastly, and it brings us into what we're talking about here, is to have a lot of money, to buy a lot of stuff. I mean, what if you could go out today and buy whatever you wanted? Wouldn't you be happier? Most of us, that's a lie that the culture continual, continually tells us. I mean, even just 10,000 bucks. I mean, if you walked out the door today with 10,000 more bucks, would you be happier this week? Most of us think that we would. And yet, the truth of the matter is that that $10,000 probably has very little to do with how happy you will be this week. It's interesting that in China, as the uh, per capita income now is going up, China's progressing. It's interesting that as the rates in how much stuff they have goes up, the level of satisfaction and happiness is going down at a similar rate. More money, the more money you have, and it might sound hard to believe, but the more money you have, the more money you typically want. The other thing about people who have a lot of stuff is that there's a haunting feeling, and it's true, that one day they're going to lose it all. One day they're going to lose it all. That's why James says, look at this verse in James 1, 9 and 10. The brother in humble circumstances. So if you don't have very much, that's you. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. You are rich if you don't have very much. Now talk about flipping our culture on its head. Okay? But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Why? Why is that a low position? Because it's going to pass away like a flower. All of that stuff that he thought made him rich is going to be gone. He's going to be back to ground zero. And for those who trusted in their riches versus those who, because they didn't have much, trusted in God, we'll find one day that they were really the rich people and the rich people were really the poor people. Very countercultural truth that we are given here. When people become wealthy, they have new friends that pop up all over. Cousins they haven't seen in years. Old classmates. People show up and all of a sudden you wonder, is there anybody with whom I have a real relationship? Somebody that's not interested in what I own. Here's the point. God warns us in his word about the dangers of stuff. And you know what? He's not telling you that because he's greedy or because he, he doesn't want you to enjoy life. He really has our best interest in mind. And we live in a culture which is driven by stuff. The desire for stuff. It is the drug of choice for many that soothes that underlying emptiness in the hearts of people. Now, we're going to look at the text here in just a moment. <clears throat> but let me just quickly here, just kind of paint the big picture. And I think this is where this fits. 
God created all of us. God did not create you to be discontent, for you to feel empty, for you to feel like you're not experiencing life to the fullest. So that's how God created you. He created you to be filled. And money is necessary. There's nothing wrong with money. There's lots of things God has given. He's given us money. He's given us sexuality. He's given us pleasure of different forms and sorts. And all those things are given by God to be enjoyed. Ultimately, though, ultimately, what you're searching for, what I'm searching for, is not, is not the new iPhone. That's, that's really not what's going to do it for you. What's going to do it for you is that you were created in this, for this relationship with God and the people around you that are rich and deep and meaningful and full. And if you, you know, that's really what we're, we were created for. Nothing can fill that void except God and the relationships that He is giving us in Himself and in people around us. And so... The Bible teaches that we are born separated from God. There's this void. We're trying to fill this void. Somewhere we're going to fill this void. And God's solution was to send His Son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be restored in our relationship to God and begin to experience the fullness in life that we desire. The Bible teaches that this void will not be filled fully until one day we meet Jesus face to face. And so even if, you're a, a, even if you've come to know God the Father through Christ today, you still, have, you still have a piece of you, you still have a part of that void that is not full and it will not be filled. You will not be satisfied until you are in the very presence of God Himself with no barriers between you and Him. So, God understands this tendency of man to try and fill that void with all this stuff. And when we do, God calls it idolatry. Idolatry. Here's a definition of idolatry. Idolatry is when we are trying to get filled up with something other than God. Definition of idolatry. Trying to get filled up by something other than God. And so we think, you know, winning the lottery, or we think our next purchase, you know, whatever it is, is going to fill up that void which is inside of us. And so we find ourselves in a very materialistic culture, uh, so oriented on stuff. You know, pretty soon Black Friday's coming up. Black Friday's now better known than Good Friday. And it's going to be crazy. You know, last year at Walmart, they couldn't wait for the doors to open. I mean, inside those walls, they had a 50-inch plasma TV for $798, a Bissell Upright vacuum for $28, 10.2-megapixel camera for $69, and movies for 9 bucks. Imagine it. And the herd couldn't wait for the doors to open. They opened it. They trampled the security guard. They're doing CPR on the security guard and people are stepping over them to get to the deal. And the guy died. And they, they interviewed a bystander and the bystander said, and I quote, 
said, man, it felt pretty freakish. Some man lost his life because a VCR was on sale. Please, it's just too sad for words. End of quote. Well, that's the epitome of what Christmas has become in our culture. Well, Jesus warns us. And uh, in these last 10 minutes here, we're just going to take, just take a, a look at each of these. Look at verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves, this is Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, what's very interesting about this passage is, what he's saying is don't get, don't get all excited about this stuff. Don't invest, uh, don't make stuff your treasure. And I think, that, I think the reason is very interesting. The reason actually is very logical and really appeals to something most of us already desire. Let me illustrate that. If you were going to go out today and, and shop for a new car, and you went into the sales guy and he said, you know what, I've got this car. You are going to love it. It is going to be so fun to drive. But I just have to tell you that probably these cars tend to rust out in about three years. And they pretty much, the transmission and the engine pretty much starts to fall apart shortly thereafter. There's no way you'd buy that car. You want a car that is, is reliable and you want a car that will last, right? You want to invest your hard-earned money in something that is going to last. Something that is quality. And that is exactly what Jesus here is trying to get us to see. That he wants us to invest what we have in something that's going to last. Something that will survive that will go beyond this culture. Not something that is going to be rusting and starting to fall apart in just a few years. Not something that you have to take out another protection plan on. I get a kick out of these protection plans. Whenever somebody asks me about a protection plan, I realize they pay off sometimes, but you know they don't pay off most of the time because that's how people make their money. Otherwise, they wouldn't offer them, right? <laughs> and so when someone says, you know, for, for 20 bucks a month, you know, you can have this thing covered so it won't break down, and I say, is this going to break down? Uh, do you plan? Are the chances better than not that this will break down in the next two years? Because if it is, I don't want to buy it. Jesus says here, invest in things that will last. I want to see you have treasures that will last. I want to see you one day to stand in that on those shores and realize you're in a whole new world and realize that you have brought some things with you that are going to last into the eternal. I want to see you investing in treasures that are really going to make you content and happy. And so he contrasts earthly treasure with heavenly treasure. Earthly treasure, heavenly treasure. Sometimes you think God says, don't store up earthly treasure. End of, end of sentence. That's not what he says. He says, don't use what God's giving you to store up earthly treasure when you can store up heavenly treasure. God's not against treasure. God's against 
investing what you have in stuff that really doesn't matter and stuff that will not last. One of my favorite songs, <coughs> Scott Wesley Brown. <coughs> I couldn't find the, the music to it, but I, I did track down the lyrics. And I, this is, I think to me, this is one of the most powerful songs. It's entitled Things by Scott Wesley Brown. And here's the lyrics. Things upon the mantle, things on every shelf. Things that others gave me, things I gave myself. Things I've stored in boxes that don't mean much anymore. Old magazines and memories behind the attic door. Things. Things on hooks and hangers. Things on ropes and rings. Things I guard that blind me to the pettiness of things. Am I like the rich young ruler, ruled by all I own? If Jesus came and asked me, could I leave them all alone? O oh Lord, I look to heaven beyond the veil of time to gain eternal insight that nothing's really mine. To only ask for daily bread and all contentment brings to find freedom as your servant in the midst of all these things. And then this is the line that always gets me. In fact, you'll see it up on the wall. For discarded in the junkyards, rusting in the rain, lie things that took the finest years of lifetimes to obtain. Isn't that powerful? Just think of that. Lying in junkyards, rusting in the rain, lie things that took the finest years of lifetimes to obtain. Things. Well, Jesus here gives a very important principle. And this is what it is. Jesus says, your heart will follow what you treasure. Your heart will follow what you treasure. Example is, if you bought an old car that had no meaning to you, and you got under that hood, and you fixed it up, and you redid the engine, and you redid everything, by the time you got done, you would be so invested in that car, you would, you would hang on to That car would be like a friend of yours. And what, what Jesus is telling us here is, whatever you pick to invest in, whatever you pick to treasure, that then will capture your heart. It's not the other way around. You don't say, well, my heart isn't right. Well, start focusing on a treasure. Your heart will go there. People have been in, in marriages that were just falling apart. And I've read a few of these testimonies where someone was challenged to treasure that other person. And interesting, when they began to treasure the person, their heart went there as well. You don't like your church? Start treasuring your church. Invest your life there. Your heart will be invested there. Someone in your life that you've been estranged from and your heart's just not there, begin to treasure that person, that relationship, and your heart will go there. Very, very important. <clears throat> Well, I'm going to just jump down here <clears throat> as our time is going. But I just want to move ahead to the last point. And verses 25 through 34. Really, in, in 19 through 24, what, what Jesus there is talking about is don't long for things, all that treasure stuff that you don't need. That's what it means to be materialistic. 
But it's interesting in the second part, he says, he moves into something we don't often think about. Notice what he says, verse 25. And I'm just going to read part of this this morning. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. I'm just going to stop there. You get the point. <clears throat> you know, you don't have to have a lot of stuff to be materialistic. In fact, some people who have nothing are very materialistic. All they live for is longing for what they don't have. And Jesus says here, materialism is not just wanting stuff you don't have. Being materialistic is worrying about the basics of life. And so if I'm all worried about the basics of life, then I'm being materialistic. I'm, I'm so focused on stuff and rather being focused on God's promise to provide for me. I'm just going to give you one closing illustration that came from my breakfast table this morning. We were sitting around. I had my two grandkids there. And Vicki offered to uh, crack the... We have boiled eggs in the morning, so she offered to crack the egg of of Judah, my youngest. So Judah, would you like me to crack your egg for you? No, I can crack it. Well, <clears throat> he cracked it all right. Um, he cracked it and cracked it and cracked it. And so when we got all done, all of a sudden he's handing me his plate and he's going, Bob, can you take the shells out of my egg? And, uh, you know, you've had eggs with shells in it. Well, this is shells with eggs in it, <laughs> if you get the picture. But it was, you know, it just struck me. I was thinking about that. And you're sitting there in his little, you know how kids are, three and a half years old. They're sitting there in their pajamas. And it's like, here, I made a mess of it. Here, clean it up for me. And he knew I would. He knew I was able. And I'm looking at the looks of their faces. And I'm thinking about everything I have to do this morning. And I'm, I'm doing this message. I'm not worrying about things. And I'm worrying about everything. And I'm going, this little, just, just, just the posture, the look, the facial expression on this little child is what Jesus invited us to be like, didn't he? He took a little child and he said, you know, this is, you know, if you're going to understand me, you need to come to me as a little child. And so this morning, I, I just want to give you that invitation that Jesus is saying, don't worry about this stuff. Don't worry that you can't afford that or you can't afford that or you don't have that. Because if you have me, I will take care of you. You don't even, you don't have to, not that you have to worry about whether you can afford a big car. You don't even have to worry about if you can afford the next meal. I will take care of you. And that's God's invitation uh, to all of us today. Father, I thank you for this reminder to all of us that all the stuff we have is, is just passing away. Father, a lot of the stuff we go after is, is the roads we follow, they're like, they're like a trip to the amusement park where the, the cost is high and the ride is short. And you want us to experience those things which, which will last, those things which will go on even to the 
the eternal life that you have offered us. And so, Lord, just make us wise. Give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see these truths that we've looked at today and over these coming weeks. Father, I just pray for anyone here today who, who is trying to fill up that void with stuff. And uh, what they're really searching for is you. I pray that they might just open their lives up to the forgiveness of Christ and, uh, and the love that you have for them today. Lord, as we just take this offering now, we just take these few quiet moments and just uh, meditate on your thoughts to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.